0: everyone and welcome once again to our midweek Bible study 2022 summer edition. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and it's great to be with you once again. Thanks for taking time to join me. Today is Wednesday, July 6th. We're continuing in our study of 1 Corinthians, and it's called Taking on Tough Issues. Last week, we considered how pride and power plays were causing conflict in the Corinthian church, and we were reminded that God is the source and giver of all our gifts and talents, so we should always rely on him and not ourselves. Today in part five, we're gonna take on another tough issue, and it's called sexual immorality. The Corinthian church had problems with this issue, problems that may throw some light on our own generational sexual permissiveness. I'll tell you more in a moment, but right now, let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for already having taken on tough issues and giving us clear guidance about them in your word. Teach us today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Some of the self-control issues we deal with are not as serious as other things because they deal with things that are permissible and not helpful. Other issues can be more serious, such as dealing with sins like sexual immorality that are harmful both physically and spiritually. In this study, Paul addresses both areas of self-control, not allowing ourselves to be controlled either by non-helpful habits or by serious sin. Here's some opening questions that will help us focus on the topic of self-control. Question number one, what permissible but not helpful thing or things can you think of in your life that sometimes threaten to control you? Right off the bat, don't even have to think about this, I think of eating. Eating is a good thing. It's a permissible thing. It's a necessary thing. But overeating, not good for anybody. Personally, I have to watch this pretty often because I loves me some food. But I can think of other permissible and not helpful things as well, such as our electronic devices, cell phones, computers, the television. Again, these things are permissible, but they can threaten to control anyone at any time if self-discipline is not enforced. Question two. Do you enjoy trying out the latest diet and or exercise plans? And what do you think it takes to make these really work? Well, I used to try out diet and exercise plans, but I would usually give up after a short time. The reason is that I wasn't committed to the program or the plan going in. I wasn't willing to give it my all. And so I would fail. Question three. How seriously do you take what you do with your body? Well, I don't take it as seriously as I should, that's for sure. I seem to come up with an excuse almost every time. Definitely no bueno. All right, enough of that. Let's get into our study. Sexual addictions are rampant in our society. We have adult bookstores in literally every town, and pornography is the most profitable business on the internet. This same kind of addiction was evident in the city of Corinth as well. Open up your Bible or Bible apps to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 to 20. And while you're doing that, we're going to read through this together. And I want you to note the same truth that Paul gave the Corinthians must still guide us today. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 to 20. This is what Paul wrote. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never! And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say, the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin! No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Wow, amen to all of that. All right, we have a lot to talk about, so let's get going. Here's our first study question. In what ways are you most likely to not take care of your body? Perhaps you don't get enough sleep. Maybe you eat too much of the unhealthy stuff. Maybe you live a fast-paced, tense lifestyle. Maybe you have way too much caffeine. Perhaps the issue might be smoking or drinking too much. In what ways are you most likely to not take care of your body? I definitely don't get enough sleep on a regular basis, and that affects me. I eat a little too much of the unhealthy stuff from time to time as well, and that doesn't do me any favors. And I can tell the effect that it has on my body for sure. But the good news is I am working on better choices in both of those areas and I'm seeing results. I hope you are too, or if you haven't yet come to grips with this kind of thing, I hope that you will. And I pray great success for you in the Lord. Number two, take a look at verse 12. It says, you say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. Here's the question. Right off the bat, Paul addresses the catchphrase I'm allowed to do anything. This was obviously something that pertained to the Corinthian believers. What are the issues here that Paul is addressing? Now I'm gonna have several lengthy answers today on these questions because I really want to give you as much of a context and background as I can. So this is gonna be a fairly long answer, whereas generally I'm pretty short on these answers. Here we go. This catchphrase, this phrase, I'm allowed to do anything, is used twice in this verse and two more times in chapter 10, verse 23. Apparently, the Corinthian believers had been using this phrase as a license to live any way they wanted. Perhaps Paul had used the statement when he preached to them about their freedom in Christ, but they had wrongly interpreted it. Paul never meant disregarding basic Christian morality and ethics. Some Christians in Corinth apparently were using this to excuse their sins, saying that Christ had taken away all sin, so they had complete freedom to live as they pleased, or what they were doing was not strictly forbidden by Scripture. Gosh, that sounds familiar today, doesn't it? Paul answered both of these excuses. While Christ has taken away sin, this does not mean everything a person might do is good. While some actions might not be specifically forbidden in Scripture, Believers should know that these actions and their results would not be beneficial to themselves or to the church. Believers should be using their Christian freedom to share the gospel and show love for others instead of looking for ways to gratify themselves. In addition, while some actions are not sinful in and of themselves, they are not appropriate because they can control believers' lives and lead them away from God. Believers should not do these actions because they don't want to become enslaved to anything. Look, freedom is the mark of the Christian faith. Freedom from sin and guilt and freedom to use and enjoy all things that come from God. But Christians should not abuse this freedom and hurt themselves or others. Many people have misinterpreted this phrase to mean, I will not be mastered by any rule of ethics or law or Bible principle. Instead, they should be saying, I will not be mastered by any sin. Amen? Christians who have been in the church for many years can easily excuse sins like gossip, bitterness, an unforgiving spirit, lust, or withholding money from God's work. We must be on alert, beloved, for those desires can master us. What God has allowed his people to enjoy must not grow into a bad habit that controls us. Number three, take a look at verse 13. It reads, you say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord and the Lord cares about our bodies. Here's the question. What is Paul saying in this verse about the purpose of our bodies? As he did in the previous verse, Paul seems to be quoting another popular catchphrase of the day. This is a common problem, even in the modern church, where cliches and sayings kind of worm their way into Christian thinking. Harmless though they may seem, expressions like live and let live or God helps those who help themselves are not found in scripture. In fact, they can lead people into a very unspiritual direction. Perhaps the catchphrases Paul refers to here are ones certain believers in the Corinthian church were using to justify participating in sexual immorality. I mean, after all, such a person might argue, how's an appetite for sex any different than an appetite for food? Stomachs are for feeding, right? Shouldn't we treat sexual desire the same way we seek to be satisfied? Well, Paul rejects that comparison. Once more, he calls the Christians in Corinth to live up to who they are in Christ, instead of lowering themselves to a mere collection of appetites that have to be fed. First, what's the future reality for stomachs and food? By this phrase, Paul seems to mean that one day we're all going to die physically and we're going to stop eating. Feeding our stomachs is not our ultimate purpose for who we are. We do not live to eat, although some people will say that sometimes. Second, Paul elevates the importance of our bodies we live in. The body is much more than just the stomach, and it's much more than just our sexual organs. The bodies of those who are in Christ serve a larger purpose, which is why They are not meant for sexual immorality. This verse ends with a really startling idea, and that is, a believer's body is meant for the Lord. Even more amazing, the Lord is meant for a believer's body. It is the place where he is with us. What we do with our bodies here and now matters far more than we may understand. Number four, look at verses 15 and 16. They read, Don't you realize that your bodies are actually part of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one. Here's the question. Here Paul gives specific guidance about sexual sin. What is it, and what is the effect on the individual and their relationship with the Lord? Again, I've got a kind of a long answer here for you, but I really hope this will give you a good perspective. I just can't overstate enough how normalized sexual immorality was in the Greek and Roman culture of Paul's day. We know from historical records that adultery, homosexual sex, pedophilia, and prostitution were as normal in everyday life as the worship of false gods. In fact, idolatry and sexuality often came together In Corinth, there was a temple of the love goddess called Aphrodite. This temple employed more than a thousand prostitutes, and sex was a regular part of the worship ritual. It's not surprising, then, that those who came to Christ in such a culture would find it difficult to break away from a lifestyle of sexual immorality. As we just discussed in verse 13, apparently, some believers held to the idea that sexual appetites were no different than hunger for food. In a warped approach to grace and forgiveness, they assumed that since their physical bodies will die, it doesn't matter what we do with them on this side of eternity. Paul has firmly rejected both of those false ideas. First, he's declared that our bodies serve a purpose. Death will not, in fact, be the end of them. As Christ was, our bodies will be resurrected and transformed. They will go on. In fact, Paul insists these bodies are meant right now for the Lord, And the Lord is meant for our bodies. Paul makes that connection even stronger in this verse. The Christian's body is a member of Christ. Put another way, our physical body is part of Christ's eternal spiritual body in some mysterious way. Our bodies are each somehow an appendage, an organ, a meaningful part of him. Now Paul asks a question meant to shock his readers. Should we take these bodies, members of Christ, and make them also members of a prostitute? Well, his obvious answer is quick, and it's with emphasis. He says, never. Paul's point is that a Christian's body as a member of or joined to Christ should never at the same time become a member or one body with a prostitute. This would apply to all forms of sexual immorality. But folks, I have to say at this point to you, if you're a person who's either been caught up in or is currently involved in sexual sin, there is hope for you. There is forgiveness for you. There's healing and renewal for you. In Jesus' name there is. Number five, verse 17. It reads, But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. The question is, what does it mean that if a person is joined to the Lord, they are one spirit with him? Paul is building the case for why it's so important for Christians to run from sexual sin, as he's going to say in the next verse. He has shown that our bodies are more than just carcasses that will die and decay one day. Our bodies will be resurrected as Jesus' body was. And more than that, our bodies right now are members of Christ. They are set apart for him and for his purposes. This passage also shows that sex is more than just another mundane human appetite to be satisfied. Sex joins two people together as one, physically and spiritually, which is exactly what God intended for marriage. So then Paul writes that to have sex with a prostitute is to, in a sense, join Christ with a prostitute. Now, Paul adds that Christians, those joined to the Lord, are spiritually united to him. More specifically, we are one spirit with him. Paul's point is that what happens to Christ's spirit affects our own. Perhaps surprisingly, what happens in our spirit affects his. That idea suddenly makes the stakes much higher for what we do with our bodies and spirits, including sexual immorality. Number six, verse 18 says, Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Here's the question. Here Paul gives the Corinthian believers a strategy for dealing with sexual sin. What is it? Well, Paul tells them right off the bat to run. Sometimes I'll tell people, do a Joseph. When Joseph escaped Potiphar's wife's advances as she was coming on to him sexually, he ran. Or if you need to, run, Forest, run. He tells them to run from sexual sin. That's what Paul says. He says to run like you're escaping from something that might harm you. And beloved, it will. Even if the culture despises you for it, it's better to escape from sexual sin than to be conquered by it. Paul shows that sexual immorality is different from other kinds of sin because it's a form of self-harm. Have you ever thought about that? We might commit other sins with our bodies, but sexual immorality unites us sinfully with another person. This happens on a deeply physical and spiritual level. We will experience the natural consequences of that sin at that deep level as well. It's really important to note that Paul did not write that sexual immorality is the worst of all sins, as we sometimes think. Instead, he is combating the casual attitude towards sexual sin carried by some Christians in hyper-sexualized cultures. In addition to hurting others, sexual immorality contributes to our own deep pain. It's no more or less a sin than any other, but human cultures tend to treat it more casually than other sins. And now our last question for today, Number seven, look at verses 19 and 20. They say, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Here's the question. What is Paul's perspective about our bodies in these verses, and why is it important for us to understand that perspective? A Christian's body is where the Holy Spirit lives. In a sense, Paul elevates our bodies to the level of being temples, holy places that house the spirit of God. God gives his spirit to every person who trusts in Christ for salvation. Mysteriously, we carry his spirit in our bodies. With that in mind, now Paul adds, they are not really our bodies after all. In verse 20, Paul writes that God purchased us. He paid for our redemption from sin with the blood of Jesus. In that sense, We came to belong to God when we came to him by faith in Jesus. That's why our bodies are not our own to do with as we please. Yes, we're free in a sense that we have been freed from the law of sin and death, but we are not free in the sense that we are now self-owned and self-determined. If we are truly in Christ, we are truly not our own. Our lives, including our bodies, belong to God. This gives him the ultimate authority to tell us what to do and what not to do with our bodies. It's important to notice something about this last argument against sexual immorality. It applies only to believers, only to those in Christ who've been redeemed by his blood and brought from darkness to light. These words are not for those who remain in darkness. Paul is not commanding those outside the church, unbelievers, if you will, to live according to God's standards for sexual morality. Their sin is still sin, but one cannot expect them to recognize it as such. Rather, it is those who belong to God and not themselves who are commanded to glorify God with their bodies. In fact, only those in Christ have an opportunity to use their bodies to bring glory to God. In fact, that is now the purpose our bodies are designed to serve. Selfishly participating in sexual sin keeps us Christians from fulfilling our purpose. Well, folks, that brings us to the end of today's study about sexual immorality. Let's recap what we talked about. We looked at some warnings that Paul gave the Corinthian church on sexual immorality. We were reminded that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, so we need to have a lifestyle that glorifies God. Next time, we're going to study 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1-16 to and verses 32-35, to and we'll be talking about our next tough issue and look at Paul's views on marriage. So until then, please take care. I'll be right back here this same time next week. I hope you'll join me then. If you're in the greater New Braunfels area on Sunday morning and you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you stop by. We're at 655 Landis Street and the service is at 1030. Come by. If you can't make it in that way, we'll have a sermon video just like this, ready to go. There'll be a podcast as well for the audio. Come by and let's just continue to seek the Lord together. Thanks for taking time to join me today. It's been a pleasure. God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.